Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Now this morning, if I were to ask you a question, and I, and I like this, uh, obviously, you know, my I'm, uh, teaching is really my what I enjoy, and I like this setup where I can ask you questions. I can actually see your faces really well. You know, it's nice. Um, uh, if I were to ask you this morning, who are the two most important, and I kind of hate to use that term, but if you were to say, of all the prophets in the Bible, who are the two most important prophets in the Bible? There's a lot of prophets listed in the Bible. Who are the two most important prophets? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and, and answer because I'm going to tell you who I think they are, and then you're going to feel bad and think, oh, I got it wrong, you know. And, but that's, I'd like you to think about that, though. And I want to suggest to you, but I, my, own, my own opinion, uh, if you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18 in your Bible, you have your Bibles with you today, Deuteronomy chapter 18, and... It's an easy verse to remember, 18.18 is the key verse, but in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, and we're going to begin uh, at verse 15. So, before we do, though, let's just have a word of prayer, can we? Father, we're going to open your word now and and share some thoughts from your word, and it's our prayer that uh, your word would be heard, and Lord, that our hearts would be attentive to your word, and... Uh, we would live by your word, and it would affect our lives each day. And so we ask your a blessing on this time together. In Christ's name, amen. Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15. I'm going to take my watch off because there's no clock in here. And you remember Wilson Fossey always said, what does it mean when a pastor takes his watch off? Nothing. Nothing. Very good. Okay. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 18. And verse 15, the Lord your God, this is, Mo, this is Moses speaking to the children of Israel just before he's going to die, and they're going to go into the promised land without him. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. In other words, we need someone to communicate for us. If we speak directly to God, we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among your brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. Now, Moses is speaking this, and he says there will be a prophet raised up like me, Moses is considered the greatest prophet in Jewish tradition, and such is the case still today. He was a prophet because he spoke for God, and he stood between God and the people and, and brought God's word. He was the greatest prophet. But he said, there will be a prophet that God will, will raise up like me, and you must listen to him. And in the book of Acts, in chapter 3, when Peter is giving his speech, he says that this prophet Moses was speaking about was Jesus Christ. He quotes that in reference to 
Christ. So I want to suggest to you that the two greatest prophets in the Bible are Moses and Jesus. We're going to do a study for the next few weeks for um, August and September of a third prophet. Nice cowboy boots there. Bruce, up from Phoenix, huh? Looking good. <laughs> this is what's nice about being here. I can really see you guys. <laughs> the third prophet, if we were to add a third prophet to that duel, who might it be? What prophet, think hard now, what prophet do we ever find who joins those two prophets in their company that we could I'd say this person sort of belongs to this echelon of prophets? Is there a prophet who joins those two prophets ever? Elijah. Who said that? Good going, Keith. All right. Keith Kemper. Yeah. Elijah. <laughs> and I'd like you to turn now to... Uh, Matthew chapter 17. And we're going to study for the next few weeks the life of Elijah. Never done this before. Never done a series on Elijah at our church. We believe what the Apostle Paul said, that all Scripture is profitable and all Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correction, that the people of God will be uh, perfect in righteousness. All Scripture And so we're going to use the Old Testament scriptures and we're going to learn from those scriptures and we're going to make reference to our life and we're going to look at the life of Elijah for the next, uh, for August and September. But I'd like to turn your attention to what what Keith was referring to in Matthew chapter 17. And that is the story of the transfiguration. After six days, verse 1, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the inner three, led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Three prophets. Moses, Jesus, who of course is more than a prophet. He, as we teach, is the Son of God himself. But Moses did say, he'll raise up a prophet like me. And Peter attributes that to Jesus and Elijah. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because you see, in the Jewish tradition, Moses and Elijah were the two main prophets. That is why today, at Passover, you you know, we've had the Passover service here that um, the, the Messianic one, that they talk about the, the Elijah chair that's left empty for Elijah. That maybe it will be your house, your family, that, Jesus, that, that God will send Elijah to for Passover. Elijah is the one that they look to because in, at the very end of the Old Testament, the very last words of the Old Testament in the book of Malachi As you know, I think you probably know, see, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And so the Old Testament, the very last words of the Hebrew Old Testament is that God is going to literally send Elijah back to herald the coming of the Messiah 
But he will also herald the, the last days, the days of tribulation, the great and terrible day of the Lord. And as we know from reading the Gospels, when, the, when God spoke to Zacharias regarding the birth of John the Baptist, he told them, he is the one who will come in the spirit of Elijah, the one that was prophesied. Later on, when John comes and they ask if he is Elijah, and he says, no, I'm not. But yet there is obviously this connection. Because in Matthew, if you have your Bibles open still, after they came, and incidentally, you know, when Peter, some people criticize Peter. You know, they say, oh, Peter was so impetuous, and we kind of, we stereotype Peter. You know, that's not really fair. I mean, what would you say? You know, he sees the Lord transfigured and sees him in his divine glory, and he sees Moses and Elijah. In fact, I've always wondered, how did he know that was Moses and Elijah? He must have overheard them talking or something. And, and, and he says, Let's, because for a, for a Jew like Peter, this would have been normal. I mean, these, these were two holy men, Moses and Elijah. And he didn't fully grasp yet, who I don't think, who Jesus was, that he was, that he was God himself. And, and he says, let's build a tabernacle. Let's build a, a shelter for each of you. This is, this, is, this is a holy place. And after they come down, after Moses and Elijah leave, and Jesus returns to his, his appearance as he was before, and as they are coming down, in verse 10, the disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus replied, To be sure Elijah comes, he is coming. That's what the Greek is, he, he is coming. And he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they do not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. And they understood he was talking about John the Baptist. So you have this dual fulfillment. John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah and fulfilled it to a certain degree, but yet Jesus affirms that Elijah is still going to come to herald the day of the Messiah. Elijah is a very, very important person in the Bible. And there are many who believe in the book of Revelation that the two witnesses that are, that are going to come in the book of Revelation are Moses and Elijah. That's for another day, another study. So our text for the next few weeks is going to be from 1 Kings chapter 17 and the following few chapters. So if you'd like to go back in your Bibles to 1 Kings. This is the section of Scripture we're going to be looking at. 1 Kings chapter 17, the stories of Elijah. Elijah, as, you, as we get to the end of the study, maybe you'll remember he is the one who is caught up in a chariot. He never dies. He's one of two men, Enoch and Elijah, who are taken directly to heaven. He leaves the earth. He's just taken. And he comes to the, he comes to the story just sort of out of nowhere as well. And the, the introduction to Elijah is very brief for a prophet who is so important. In chapter 17, verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my, at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, East of the Jordan, he stayed there. And the ravens, that is the, the crows from the Middle Eastern area, 
brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook, from the brook Kareth. Elijah the Tishbite <clears throat> just shows up in the story, and he's a very important person. And in this particular short introduction, we find out that he has made a proclamation to King Ahab that there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except at my word. Now, we had a situation recently uh, where we had rain. Remember that? A couple days ago? And for those of you who are visiting from out of town, <clears throat> and people always tell you it always rains in Seattle, and uh, we had, what, how many days do we have without rain? The whole month. whole month of July without rain. One day of rain, and now we're back into nice weather like this. But you know what? A month without rain here in Seattle, unless it's really, really unusual, um, is not going to set us back too much, right? We're going to be okay. In the Middle East, in Palestine and in Canaan, during the winter months, there's the fall rains and there's the spring rains. One year without those rains, and it's devastation. It's absolutely devastation. It is famine. Uh, and, and they didn't have a food network like today where, you know, if we, if we do have problems today, you can get the food from somewhere else. They couldn't do that unless they went down to Egypt or someplace with the bread baskets. And so we have here a situation where there is no rain or dew. And that's important because in, on, the, on the coast of Palestine, the coast of, of Israel today, on the plains that go down to the Mediterranean Sea, uh, every day there would be a heavy coating of dew, which in a desert area provides the moisture and actually provides the water they need. And so there is no rain or dew. And we know that this is because of Elijah. And we know that because um, in the book of James, at the very end of James, I'll just turn there and read it to you, we have one of the few passages in the New Testament that we use to really speak of, and we're going to talk about this later on, you know, why do we pray? If God knows what he's going to do, if God already knows what's going to happen, why are you and I praying about it anyway? Well, we're going to talk about that. But, um, you know, we, we read about um, Elijah, and uh, we read about him in uh, James chapter 5, in verse 17, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. So we're not really told that in Kings. All we're, to, all we're told here is that there will be. That he just says there won't be rain, like he's just predicting it. In James, we find out that it's Elijah's the one who prayed earnestly, and God responded to his prayer. Although, of course, it was in God's plan. We'll talk about that later in a few weeks. But it was because he prayed that there would be no rain. Why would he do that? Why would he pray for no rain for his own people, his own family, his own land? Why would he do that? Well, if you go back in, in 1 Kings, just back to chapter 16, we don't have to read too much of the story to kind of see what's going on here. There's a couple of characters in this story who are actually even in the you know, the world, uh, for people that don't really know the Bible, they probably recognize at least one of these names. And that is, verse, let's look at verse 29. This is after the king Omri died, who was a very wicked king, very wicked man. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, 
son of Omri, became king of Israel. I just want to remind you, the nation of Israel at this time is split into two countries, two, two nations, if you will. There's the northern ten tribes, which is called Israel, and the southern two tribes, which is called Judah. They are all Jews. They are all Israelites. But they split after the death of Solomon. They actually had quite a bloody civil war, and they have been they have been split. So we're talking about the kings in the north, okay? Not that the kings in the south are any better, hardly, but we're talking this time about the kings in the north. And it says that Ahab, verse 30, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel. Recognize that name? Not too many people I know named their girls Jezebel. Okay, they kind of have a bad reputation. Daughter of, of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Ashtoreth pole and did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than did all the kings of Israel before him. In his time, and it goes on to talk about another man, and then um, we, come, we come to the story of the calling of Elijah. Ahab, king of Israel, uh, one who was given responsibility to lead God's people, was a wicked man. And these people were wicked. He integrated the gods of Canaan and the foreign gods, the pagan gods. And you have to remember, when we talk about this in the Old Testament, it's not that he just completely gave up on the God of Israel. He just included all the other gods. We call it syncretism. He included all the other gods. And they were all just as equal. And Israel's God, Yahweh, was, was, was one more God. And he married Jezebel from up toward Lebanon, who comes from the area of the Baal that she worshipped. Now, you know in the Old Testament, you run into this character Baal, I should probably pronounce Baal or Baal, quite often. And it's because he's really not just one deity. The various people in that part of the world in the Near East and around Israel, they all had kind of their Baals. They all had their sort of local Baals. He was the god of fertility, but not, not just, and even not so much just human fertility. That had to do more with Ashtoreth. That was, Ashtoreth was the female counterpart, okay? But Baal was the god of fertility for the earth, which meant he was the god of the rain and the dew. In fact, instead of him, he rode on the clouds and he was the god of thunder because the god who controls the rain in the Middle East, the God who controls the rain in the Middle East, in the desert land, and in, in part of his desert, of course, um, is the most important God. Without the rains, you die. You have to have the rains every year. The early and the later rains. And Baal was that God who controlled that. And it was a very wicked, uh, pagan, very wicked practice. The, the, the things that they, they, they did for these gods... Um, I'm not going to go into detail here, but they, they, were, they were really perverse, the way they worshipped these gods, just flat-out perversity, the way they worshipped them. And Israel, under Ahab's leadership and his wife Jezebel, who came from the hometown where this particular Baal 
came from, not only worshipped him, but they set up a temple for him. They set up an altar and they brought sacrifices to him. And they acted like everything was okay, sacrificing to Baal and to Asherah and also sacrificing to, to, to Yahweh. And, it was, and this put it all together in the mix. And, and, and he was so wicked, it says he was wick, more wicked than all the kings before him. I mean, you had, you had kings in, in, in Israel that, that sacrificed babies, burnt offerings to Molech. I mean, it was, it was really bad. It was horrible. And he was, the, he was the most wicked. And it's in this context of this wickedness and this sinfulness and this critical time in Israel's history that God raises up Elijah. And Elijah prays to God fervently because you see, as we're going to see as this, these stories unfold, and, in this, and of course where we're heading to, the, the, the climax, the key story, is the, is the contest with Baal and, and, the, and, the, and the prophets and priests of Baal uh, with the burnt offerings. But what is really behind these stories is who is God? Is Elohim, is, Je- is Yahweh is he God, or is Baal also God, or even more important, God? And the reason Elijah prays for rain, I think, is because they are going to make this point and give Israel a chance to, to, to accept it and to decide one way or the other. You've got to decide, who is God? And if the rains and the dew are gone, if Baal is really the God of the rains and dew and the God of thunder, he will bring it back. And Elijah prays to God and says, God, stop the rain, stop the dew. It's, it's time for a decision. It's time for a change. And this is the background of this crisis point. The reason I think that Elijah fits with Moses, Elijah, and, and Jesus Christ is because if you look at the Bible, you'll see those three times in Israel's history of, of, of critical importance, of, it's decision time, it's crisis time. When Moses goes back to Egypt, they're either going to follow him and leave or not. When Elijah confronts Ahab and brings it before Israel, they're either going to change or it's going to continue to go worse, which it does, of course, to where they're taken into captivity. And when Jesus Christ comes and offers himself as Messiah to Israel, it's either going to be an acceptance or a rejection. And so in those three critical times in Israel's history is when you're going to find this explosion of miracles. This explosion of, 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 of things that defy science. You know, you've got, you've got Moses, of course, in the plagues over a period of a year. You've got all those miracles with Moses and Joshua who takes over from him. You have, during this time of Elijah, you're going to have an explosion of miracles between Elijah and Elisha who follows him. And then, of course, during the life of Jesus, the miracles that Jesus does and the apostles that follow him. And the miracles are always never, they are never an end to themselves. The miracles were never just to do miracles. That's what they misunderstood. And they asked Jesus, show us a miracle. They were, that wasn't the point of it. The point of the miracle was to affirm the message and the messenger. And so these three critical times and these three prophets, and this is what we're going to see in the life of Elijah. So as we, as, we, as, we, as we read through this, and this morning, we're just going to go that far into verse 6. I originally, had, I originally had planned to go further, and that's why I put the sermon for this title, God Will Provide. But we're going to cover that next week and give you a chance to read it ahead of time. 
Um, we're going we're gonna to call this sermon next week. If I knew you were coming, I would have baked a cake. <laughs> Are you still be here, Jenny? You're going back to Michigan. All right, you read that and see if you figure out why I titled that. If I knew you were coming, I would have baked a cake. Okay? But for today, let's go back. Verse 17, chapter 17. Elijah, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives. This is what he says. By the life of Yahweh. I mean, this is a... He's invoking God's name. This is pretty serious. By the life of God, I, on whom I serve, there will be no rain and there will be no dew for the next, we'll find out from James, three and a half years, except by my word, which means by God's word through me. And this is, this, I'm giving you the background as to why Elijah does this. And I want you to remember that it's because Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. And you know, Elijah suffers along with everybody else. You know, look at look what happens here. God has to send him outside of Jerusalem area, I'll be outside of, of, of Samaria, where this was the capital of the north. He goes to Kareth. I think this is where, you know, for years Camp Cedarbrook was called Camp Kareth. And I think that's where it comes from, if I'm not mistaken, Steve. Um, the brook Kareth, C H it can it's really in the Hebrew would be the C H. And he went to the to Camp Kareth east of Jordan, and he drank from the brook, and the ravens brought him meat at night. Um, I don't know, I'm just thinking about the ravens in my neighborhood and the meat they pick up. <laughs> Generally, it comes from garbage cans. Or, uh, you know, we were down at the Mariners game last week with my grandkids, and both nights we were there. How do the seagulls know when the game is ending? What is it? That Husky, you ever been to Husky Stadium? And about... Ten minutes before the game ends, all of a sudden seagulls are just circling around. And what are they doing? They're not waiting to see who wins. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> There's some, they know when you leave, you're going to leave a lot of trash around and they come and eat. I, just, I don't know how those seagulls know it's the ninth inning. Um, especially with some of the, anyway, well, the scores, you know, maybe they're looking at the scoreboard and figure this game's over, you know, but... But, you know, the, the ravens, the, the crows in my neighborhood bring, bring but, but God somehow, this is a miracle. This is the first of the miracles of Elijah. Somehow God orders the crows, if you will, to go bring him fresh, edible meat. And they, and they bring it to him morning and night. Can you imagine that? The, the, him sitting there, he has nothing to eat. He's desperate like everybody else in the country. The, the, in fact, we know from this story, we'll see here how desperate they are. Ahab sends people out throughout the land just trying to gather any scratch of food they can find. They are, they are starving to death. People could be dying from this. And, they, and, and, and he is just as desperate as everybody else, but he, he takes them to a place where there's a brook, there's water. And he can drink fresh water and in morning for breakfast, and evening for dinner, he gets food from the birds. There's a lot of similarities between Moses and Elijah. How did, how did God feed the Israelites? Every day they woke up and there was manna. God provided water when they spoke to the rock. And, and, and Elijah receives what he needs for a while. But we'll see next week that pretty soon even he has to move on from this situation. What was a prophet anyway? As we come to the end of this today, what was a prophet? You know, in our culture today, if we use the word prophet, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding. 
lot of people almost associate a prophet with almost like a fortune teller. Like somebody, you know, if I said to you, I'm a prophet, what would be the first thing you might expect from me? That I could what? Tell the future, right? That I could, last week, uh, Phil Long, remember he spoke to us last Sunday and he talked about how he, how he wins the bracket for the basketball tournament? Remember how he wins? 100% what's he do? Waits the day after and then fills out his bracket, okay? If, if you were a prophet, but you know what? A, a prophet's primary ministry was really not telling the future. We have New Testament prophets. The Apostle, Apostle Paul says that the, the mystery of God had been revealed to the apostles and to his holy apostles and prophets. We have a gift of prophecy in the New Testament books as well. A prophet technically is a fourth teller for God. He speaks for God. That's why Moses, the people said, send us a, a prophet that will speak for us because if, we, if, if God speaks to us, we're going to die. They saw Mount Sinai and they saw what was going on. They were terrified, but Moses spoke for God. And Jesus spoke for the Trinity when he was on earth. Elijah is a spokesman for God. The reason the future telling comes into it, because the future telling has to do with, if you don't change, here's what's going to happen to you. You should change. Here's what God is going to do. And even if you don't change, because he is, because he is true to his word, here's what he is still going to do. But that was in connection with the message of holy living and living what they were supposed to be as God's people. They had God's whole presence in their camp. They had the tabernacle. And then they had the temple where God dwelt in the camp of Israel. They were God's chosen holy people to be a witness to the world of God's love and grace and mercy. And of course, they kept falling down. They kept not doing it. You get people like Ahab. You got kings in the south doing the same thing. And, and, and the prophets come to, to call them out on this and to call them back to holy living and to call them back to what God had intended for them as he is in their midst and to, and to remember who they are. The Old Testament and the New Testament prophets. And so what I want you to take home with you today, because first of all, there's a couple of, a couple of takeaways here today I want you to take home with you. I want you to remember, as we're going to unfold this story in the next few weeks, we're going to see this, what's behind this, what's behind this is really between God and the idols. You know, we saw last, last series in Ephesians, we talked about the spiritual warfare, where our warfare is not against flesh and blood, it's against the spiritual hosts in the heavenly places, against wickedness and darkness, good and evil, if you will, between God and Satan. And we see this here in Kings as well. That what's really going on is it's either, it's either God or it's Satan or it's the idols. It's Baal or Astra. Which one is it? Who are you going to serve? Who are you going to follow? Who are you going to believe? This is what's behind this. And I want you to remember that's, that's still true today. That's still true today. God is still God. God is in charge. God is sovereign over everything. You know, when we think about, we talk about the crows, when we, we think, if, if is it really true what Jesus said, that not even a sparrow falls to the ground, that God, does, God knows it? 
Even the hairs of your head are numbered. No comments. <laughs> but think about that. I mean, either that's true or not true. I mean, every time a sparrow, like Pastor Schutz used to preach, and I think he was right, that the Greek word is really when a sparrow lights to the ground. He used to teach that when a sparrow lands on the ground, not that it dies and falls on the ground, but when it lands, God, God knows every bird that is landing and taking off right now. God is still God. God is sovereign. Whatever in your life right now is your biggest challenge. Whatever your biggest challenge is. I had someone this past week tell me, you know, one time you talked about, and, 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 and this come to pass in my life. And, I, and, I, and, I'm, and God has brought me through it. Whatever your biggest challenge in your life right now is, is it, is it good to know that God already knows how it's going to work out? He already knows. It's already in his hands. God is sovereign. God is sovereign not only in your life and in my life, in the life of our church and our community, but God is sovereign over the entire universe. And this is what we're going to see in the story of Elijah. And this is what we need to see today. God is God over all. The second thing, do we need a prophetic voice today? And if so, what is it? These were God's people. These were God's chosen people. These were Israelites. This contest with Elijah is with the Israelites. Do we need a prophetic voice today? And if so, do I, personally, do I need a prophetic voice today? And if so, where is it? You know, I thought about this. If, if Jesus, and, and think of John the Baptist. Jesus is a prophet. John the Baptist, you know, when John the Baptist came and he called people to the Jordan River, and what was his message? Blank and be baptized. Repent. Repent and be baptized. What did they need to repent of? I mean, think about the Gospels. When you read the Gospels, are the Jews struggling with idolatry? Do you ever see that in the Gospels where the Jews are going after Baal or Astra or Dagon or any other god? It's like after the exile and return, it's like they got it. It's no longer a problem. You open up the pages of the New Testament, and that is not a problem in Israel. Idolatry. It's not a problem. What is the problem? I mean, whatever the problem is, it's so serious that John says, repent and be baptized for your sins. Jesus tells people to repent. What is it? You know, there are many things. But what's happened is, it's like the law and legalism has become a new religion. They are so legalistic. Jesus tells the Pharisees, you tithe mint and cumin. You know what those are? Spices. The kind like cinnamon or whatever, you know. You, 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 you put out your, your mint and cumin and you take out a tenth of it and you make a tithe. You're so precise. But you miss what? You miss the, the great things of loving God and loving your neighbor. And, and, and they become so focused. And they needed a prophetic voice. And when the Pharisees and scribes came, Jesus, John the Baptist, who, who warned you, you scorpions? <laughs> who, who warned you to flee from the terror that comes? It was serious. 
We need a prophetic voice today. In the book of Colossians, when we study Colossians together, I mean, let me ask you do, you, do you struggle with idolatry? I'll be honest with you, I don't struggle with idolatry in the, in the technical sense. I've never been tempted to worship a Buddha or a Baal or any other god. It's never entered my heart. It's never something that comes my way. It's never anything I've struggled with. But do I struggle with idolatry? The book of Colossians, uh, in the book of Colossians, and in, 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 chapter, and in chapter 3, we read, Put to death, therefore, in verse 5, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. You see, I'm a new creation. He's talking to Christians. I'm a new creation. I am a new creation because of the Holy Spirit. Behold, all things have become new. But this new creation is still in this flesh, in this world. He's talking to Christians. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. And then he goes on to tell these people to put on and clothe themselves with Christ. Do we struggle with idolatry? Oh, I think we do. I think I do. When you look at that list of sins, sexual immorality, evil desires, greed, greed, which is idolatry. Because we're still in this human condition, and because we are people, I'm a new creation. If you know Christ, you are a new creation. And we can allow the Holy Spirit to live through us in such a way that our lives glorify God. And we can put on, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in our daily life, what we really are, if we let God do that. But Paul says, be careful. Be careful of these things, because they're idolatry. Because anything in my life, no matter how good it is, if it's my job as pastor, I mean, no matter how good it is, if I put that before my love for God, if I, if I find my self-worth, if I found my, my, you know, my, everything that's important to me out of my work, out of my ministry, out of pastoring, that's idolatry. If I, if I, if I put money and, 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 my, and my things before God, that's idolatry. If I'm on the Internet and looking at things and doing things or on, on the cell phone, no matter what it is, at things we shouldn't be doing, we put that before God, that's idolatry. Do we need a prophetic voice today? Do we need a prophet today like Elijah to come and to warn us and to call us and to remind us? You see, Elijah didn't come and, and, and ask the people, would you please come into a covenant relationship with God? They were already in a relationship with God. They were the chosen people. They had the temple in Jerusalem, even though these people were in the north. They were in a relationship with God. The prophet comes to plead with them to remember who you are and to live a life that reflects that. And I close with this. Do we have a prophetic voice today? Do we have a prophetic voice today? Do we need a prophetic voice today? Listen, friends, it's God's word. It's the Holy Spirit that dwells in you 
and the Word of God, as you read God's Word, and you see what God has for you, and you contemplate it, you think about it, you live it, you have the prophetic voice that God wants us to have. Hebrews chapter 4. Last week we had our, our competition with the high school. Can anybody, can anybody here quote Hebrews 4.12? Nice and loud without the microphone. Anybody? For the word is what? All right, very good. For the word of God, uh, you're all quoting different translations, is living and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. This, this was written to people who believed in Jesus Christ. Before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So word of God. And I want to ask you as we begin this study together that if you would once again consider would you spend time in God's Word? It's not complicated. It's written for people like you and it's written for people like me. You don't have to know Greek and Hebrew. You don't have to be a theologian. Would you read God's Word? Would you read God's Word each day? Would you think about it? Would you let the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit convicts you and draws something to your attention that's a prophetic voice, like the voice of Elijah or Moses or the voice of Christ, when you hear that voice, would you respond and live and be what God has already caused us to be, new creations in Jesus Christ? Read the next section of Elijah. And next week, we're going to consider, if I knew you were coming, I would have baked a cake. Amen. Thank you for coming today and joining us in worship. And as, as we leave today, lest as we study the life of Elijah, you're tempted to think, well, yeah, but that was, man, that was a, that was a special man of God. He was. He was superhuman. He was a giant. James when he introduces Elijah in that story we talked about, says this, Elijah was a man just like us. And as we read and study together, we're going to see uh, it's not all glory and honor. There, there's some big down, letdowns in Elijah's life, some huge weaknesses. He's a man, and a, just, like, just like a man and a woman that's here today. He was a human being. And God works with human beings, and God loves you. God loves you so much that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sins and give you eternal life and give you the Holy Spirit so you can live a life that pleases God and you can respond to that prophetic voice of God that you hear through his word and through the Holy Spirit. And maybe through your brothers and sisters who help you and remind you, listen to that voice. Respond this week. Read his word. And as you're doing your Bible reading, as you get toward the prophetic sections, which will be in soon if you're doing a Bible, daily Bible reading, read the prophets, not with always trying to figure out what they're talking about the future, but read them in the context of calling Israel to remember who they are and who their God is. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love for us. 
We thank you for, well, we just thank you for your love for us. What a wonderful thing that you've chosen to love us. You've chosen to give your grace and mercy to us that we didn't deserve and you don't owe us anything. But you created us, you love us, and you offer us salvation. You offer us the Holy Spirit. You've given us your word to encourage us, to instruct us, to live lives, as Paul says, of righteousness. And so as we leave this place today, Father, may our hearts and may our ears and eyes be attentive to the prophetic voice. And may we listen. And as you told through Joshua to the people of Israel, that we might know to do, to live our lives to your glory. In Christ's wonderful name, we leave this place today. We love you. And we thank you for your wonderful blessings. And in God's name, all of us can pray together. Amen.